This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti-Heroes Podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Anti-Heroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Again, that's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work and we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with your host, Zach Blair. I am Zach Blair. How are you doing? Well, I'm off tour. Um, it's always fun being a creative, being an artist, seeing what's next, collaborating with folks, collaborating with folks that I get to meet on this podcast. Uh, again, today, I, I did not know my guest, the wonderful, amazing Randy Randall from the just astounding band, No Age. Never met him before. But as we started talking, we, we have a lot of mutual people in common, one of which is my North Star, Miss Laurel Stearns, who uh, also had in common with Brian from Red Fang, friend of the show. And uh, I think Laurel's name has come up a few times already, but... So if you don't know No Age, you should check out No Age. Uh, we really dive into the history of the band and what makes the band tick and, and everything about them and to Randy's motives and his wonderful start of guitar. It's a real beautiful story. It's a tragic, beautiful story. And it endeared me to Randy quite a bit. And I think it will you too as, as well. So, you know, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into my conversation with Randy Randall. Hey, Randy. Hey, what's up, Zach? How you doing? Hi, it's uh, it's very nice to meet you. And, you know, again, like I've said on this podcast a lot, it's so great to meet people that you've admired or that you've heard of or that just other guitar players. And that's why I love doing this. And this is definitely the case because we've never met IRL, as the kids say. <laughs> but but you also feel because of this thing that we do, you also feel like you kind of know somebody, you know, you and me have been talking for a few minutes now. And it seems like, I mean, we could probably talk for hours. We've done the same thing. You have that shared experience of, you know, I could talk to you for like two minutes ago. Oh, this guy's loaded a van before. Yes. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, no, great. Great to meet you too. Yeah. I'm a, I'm yeah, a fan yeah. of the podcast and a fan of the band. So yeah, it's an honor, oh, thank you it's so an honor much. to be here. Thanks, man. Well, I, I appreciate you doing it and taking the time. And I'm a fan of your band as well. And when it was you know pitched to be able to talk to you, I was like, that's exactly who I want to talk to. That's exactly <laughs> the person that needs to do this podcast. Um, we can dive right in. So so how did you, 
start playing guitar? What was your catalyst? What, what, what brought you to it? Yeah. So I, I grew up in Southern California, just in the suburbs of LA. And I had an older brother, Sam, um, who passed away when he was 25 and he was a guitar player and a skateboarder. Oh yeah. It's all right. Um, it was a lot of years ago. So I think I was 12 at the time. And so I sort of, you know, I inherited a lot of his stuff, you know, literally and, and spiritually and everything, <laughs> everything else was kind of, yeah, he was definitely, yeah, yeah. he was a hero of mine. And so I was still, I went kind of went from, you know, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Vanilla Ice and The Simpsons into uh, Nirvana and Sonic Youth and that kind of world. So I inherited his record collection of things and and literally his guitar. I got my first guitar was his old guitar and all of the emotional stuff that comes with the grieving process that I didn't understand in my adolescence. I sort of glommed onto this guitar as my way of connecting with him. And I still do. I think it's been a lifelong sort of relationship with, um, with grief in that sort of way, but also in celebration and creativity and all those things. So I didn't understand it like that at the time, you know, it was just a kind of wow. <laughs> mopey. I wasn't prepared kid. for that. Answer. <laughs> I, I wasn't Sorry. prepared for that answer. That's no, it's amazing. That's the that's the I think that's the best answer I've had yet. And I also have a, an older brother that I mean, my a my condolences and b if anything happened to my older brother, I don't know what my brother's. He's also a professional musician. He plays wow. bass in the band the toadies and him and I came up playing in bands together. And anyway, that's, uh, that's awful, but also beautiful, you know, in a, in a way to turn it, you know, positive that it started this career and this lifelong obsession for you that it turned it into something positive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely something that I felt, you know, like I say at the time, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't take lessons, but it was sort of just me plugging away at it. I think it was also some kind of therapy or catharsis. And then as, as life went on, you know, I think I, I just appreciate it, you know, so much you know, in the sense that like, it was a gift. It was a gift, literally, you know, that like, he gave me a guitar, but also, you know, just sort of, I, I looked up to him. He was, he was a cool guy and he, he had a skate shop. And like I said, and played guitar and did all these cool things that just were a huge influence on me and my life. And I've just kind of used that as that, you know, right. When you're a teenager, your adolescent stuff, like that sort of imprints heavy on you regardless, you know, without losing a, a family member. Um, but I think I just had this whole other kind of mixed up emotional enmeshment with that time of my life. Like, oh yeah, this yeah. is great. And just sort of brought that forward in a way that I think I've been able to mature somewhat. I don't know. You'd have to ask my wife. I don't know. I mean, I still, I still live in adolescence in some ways. You know what I mean? But, but I we could, all do, don't right? we? Right? That's the what I'm saying. Yeah. The life of a musician, you're always in a perpetual state of adolescence, which I think is amazing. And that's why I stay in this life. I mean, let's face it, we're modern day pirates. You know what I mean? We get in this vehicle and we just forge on and by hook or crook and all that shit. Yeah. Uh, but I think it, it keeps us young. You know, it's funny getting ushered into or being introduced to music or this lifestyle or, or this culture by an older person. My dad was the guy for me. And then I don't know, and my dad also passed, but I, it's the same thing. It's kind of like you, you get that extra drive that other people don't really have because you're also trying to uh, make them proud of you, mm -hmm. you know, the, the memory of them proud of you you know absolutely yeah no i think i you know over the years like i said I've, you know i think i've done a lot of kind of emotional work in therapy and out and sort of things but uh i think i had to sort of figure out like oh yeah is this what is it that i want and what is it that i think i'm fulfilling of somebody else's dream that he didn't get to do you know i think it yeah. kind, of, it kind of at some point i had to put a fine point on it just for my own sort of sanity to understand like sure. am i doing this am i living someone else's dream am i living my own and but i do think in some ways though if a lot of us are honest we play that stuff out through your 20s regardless like as you know I mean, whether it's a controlling father an absentee father or parent or parental figure insert whatever that is mom dad uncle brother you know i think that's just part of a natural cycle of understanding yourself and your family and your place in the world you know and how do you how do you measure success especially when you're a dumb kid in your 20s what does success look like is it for me it was going on tour and playing music right. and you know that just felt like something i was like yes if i if i can play in front of 10 people then I've, I've succeeded, you know, the bar was absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it was the same exact thing. It was just getting in a van, getting from one gig to the next, that was success. Being able to tie that together and do that with the, the bulk of your existence was spent in aid to music. That was success to me. Yeah. Um, well, I would think that, you know, and, and you did that and you accomplished that and, and here you are, you know, and I, I think that's uh, highly commendable. Yeah. Well, um, sorry to flip it around. But what was your first guitar? I'm so I'm so curious how that works. My first guitar. Well, I was about to ask you what yeah. that. A oh, yeah. two questions. I'll, I'll answer. I'll <laughs> okay. answer. But there's yeah. two questions. One is, do you still have that guitar? And B, what is it? Okay, mine was a really shitty acoustic that was so huge, and the action was so high on it. And I was a little. I was nine, 
and I could get inside the case and like close the case. Um, and then it was, oh, in the sixties, like Tiesco and Del Rey and all those like bad pawn shop guitars, they started making like their sort of versions of offset that their answer to what would be a jazz master or something. Yeah. yeah let me grab, let me grab mine. Hold on. I'll show you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mine might've been a harmony rocket actually. Yeah. Okay. Let's see it. So there's a reason. Yeah. That if, if you're watching this on yes. video at home, yeah. Yes. Yes. Tiesco. That's, that's, that's right? exactly. <laughs> I, I don't remember. Um, but yeah, if, if people that can't see, it's like very uh, harmony or silver tone. Yeah. That's yeah. fucking it. Yeah. And I spray painted, I was into thrash metal. So like I sprayed painted it black and you know, yep. did all this shit to it. I had the body of it forever. This, yeah, this one, I, I, I wish I wouldn't have done it, but I put double humbuckers in it and then I tried to I fix it rad. and stuff. I was, I was, I should have just left it alone, but I think at some point I needed, a, a, I thought a proper guitar. So I was trying to turn it into yeah. an SG or something, you know. Is that the one that your dad, that your brother left yeah, you? This is the one. Yeah, exactly. No it's the same one. But he had the original pickups in it and I like I played it in bands for years and I tried to turn it into like a proper guitar and then eventually I just bought a proper guitar and just left this one alone. Yeah. Let it be what I it is. I think that's amazing. Yeah. I, I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing you have it and that it is play. I mean you could record with that. You have, you know. Yeah, it's fully workable. You know, I don't spend as much time on it. You know, I've I've bought way too many other guitars, <laughs> but, well, but it's still as, there. As right? we do, as we do, it's yeah. a lifelong. You'll never stop, my friend. Oh my god! Um, yeah. So I have noticed in in videos and watching you, you tend to gravitate toward like the Epiphone Sheridan, Epiphone Casino. Are you still doing that? Yeah. So I can. So I can tell you. So kind of going from this, I went from this to an SG, um, okay. and I love the the double humbucker sort of the mids and stuff in that. And then when Dean and I got together and we're trying to figure out what a two piece could be, what our version of a two piece band would be. Um, right. I was trying to figure out like, Oh, well this, this SG harmonically is just really mid. It's just, or it's really just all high mids. And for, I was trying to figure out, I didn't, the two piece thing was, I didn't know how much baggage there was attached to that. You know, I think we kind of went in sort of naively. We're thinking of bands like Lightning Bolt or Godhead Silo, yeah. but there's also obviously in, the, in those years too, then there became, you know, the White Stripes or the Black Keys or became a blues right. kind of two piece. And so that was never really my intention to, to go down a blues road because I was a suburban punk kid. I didn't really have a blues itch at that age. Right. So, but I liked, you know, noise and stuff like that. So I was trying to go for like a more lightning bolt thing. So I wanted it to say, I wanted it to sound like all these things at once. So it sound like three guitars at one time. So then I went from an SG. So I thought, well, maybe we'd already done our first record. And so I would do an SG for all the rhythm parts and I would overdub it with try to, you know, layer up guitars, a high, mid, low thing. Sure. So, so I was looking for a guitar that could do those sounds. And I first got, um, I was thinking of like Jesus and Mary Chain. I was like, oh yeah, they have big hollow body guitars. That sounds yeah. kind of cool. So then I got a casino, which just fed back horribly. The the P90s in a full hollow thing, that didn't really work. And then from there, I went to a Sheridan 2, an Epiphone Sheridan 2, which is kind of like the poor man's 335. It has the, the block down the middle and the humbuckers. And that just seemed to work. So the, there's like a, a resonance to the body, which kind of works for the lower end stuff. And then the mids are obviously there. And then there's a chimey sort of thing. If it's, everything's working right, I'll run three amps on stage and try to split them wow. up in that sort of way, a high, mid, low sort of thing. Sure. And, I, and I felt the, the Sheridan's and I was just buying these things off Craigslist or um, whatever was available then like used things. And, uh, and I found one that I really like, and it just sort of worked for me for all those things. But it was cheap enough also that I wouldn't be afraid if it got lost. It makes sense too. You know, I think it's probably the same reason why, say, Jordy Walker and uh, Killing Joke uses that big open hollow body for the same sort of because there is the chimey thing happening. There's, of course, the low end. There's, of course, you know, it just covers all this ground, even though they've always had a bass player. But there's something about his tone that just, I mean, now it's like, oh, of course it's a hollow body. But uh, he kind of explained it in the same way. Did you ever do anything for low end? Did you ever do anything? I know a lot of bands that have had two members, you know, there's maybe, oh, say an octave divider, like something like where they're kind of 
getting low end happening. Did you ever do that? Yeah. So in the beginning, I didn't really, I just kind of plugged it into a bass amp, you know, used a splitter. I had like a delay pedal. I had two outs and sort of like sure. one goes to the guitar, one goes to the bass. And then um, our journey has no, it, it kind of blew up faster than we were prepared for. And so I, yeah. you know, I found us doing really professional things, very unprofessionally. <laughs> I was trying to, right, I was trying right. to play catch up as things were happening. And so a sound person we had, uh, this guy, Chris Colte, he was out with another band or we were opening for this, the band that he was, teching for or he was engineering for and he's like what are you doing you should get an octave pedal and put that in the bass amp and do these things and i was like oh okay and i think i even got like a, a bass um sans amp as well kind of run a oh. di you know he kind of schooled me he's like we, we literally went the next day to a guitar shop he's like buy this buy this buy this i was like okay and then so, right, and so you, i sir. did yeah okay that sounded very technical and so i've since kind of learned like how to sort of dial that in and so i've refined that over the years and it's just the idea of I, if you play a power record you sort of just want the low note the root note to sort of resonate and rumble and i figured out how to dial that in with a bass amp so there, yeah i still use a little bit of um octave but i've found over the years i dialed it back less and less because at some point that octave it can, it's a strong flavor it's a strong flavor and and that's a great way to put it yeah. and then you know of course it's it's con continuously <laughs> playing so yeah whatever you're doing yeah. you, go, you know and it just gets too fucking muddled up but yeah. okay that's that's interesting you're still doing that so you're you running like a stereo rig with an actual bass side mm -hmm. and a guitar side. I see. Yeah, I, see. I think I think a good way. I mean, in a perfect world, I mean, obviously, I'm nowhere near these players, but in terms of the sound I'm looking for, is sort of like buzzcocks on the high end. Those real chimey, like ding 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 ding. ding. That's sort yeah. of like high, like a buzzcocks guitar with then like a Malcolm Young or even um, uh, Ron Ashton uh you know guitar from the stooges in yeah. the mids oh, yeah. and then like a real low rumbly fuzzy bass like a white zombie sort of bass if, the, if i had all three of those people on stage at the same time that would be my perfect goal of what my if the, my one guitar would sound like all good references all good references <laughs> um and so what what amps have you sort of gravitated toward yeah so Early on, I just had practice amps, you know, like little kid amps, which was always fun. I traded my friend uh, <laughs> the Rage Against the Machine CD <laughs> for for his practice amp. <laughs> yeah. awesome. And I still have that amp, too. It's somewhere up here. It's, it was great, though. But that was the one that had, like, the distortion built into the amp. And so I liked that. Right. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to get more work out of this amp than I am listening to the CD. I already, already listened to it 10 times. I could All use right. an amp. And uh so I had those little practice amps and then luckily enough, just being in close enough to LA, you know, there's, a, there's so much gear floating around here in the suburbs and the surrounding areas. Um, the, a friend of mine, he found a Marshall club and country, which is a cool Brown. I don't know if you've ever seen those Brown Tolexed. Um, yeah. Uh, I think this is a 410, but, but with tubes, those all like EL, wow. EL, 34 tubed out thing with four tens and it was super loud and weird and, and top heavy it would fall over all the time and so i got that so that was my first real proper amp and that was wow. that just sold me on just you know tubes raging at loud volumes were just i was sold so do you still have it i still have that one yeah i've been i've been fortunate enough to to hold on to everything i think because of you know my sort of emotional attachments i probably just i don't get rid of anything <laughs> yeah but um yeah it's a bit like I a mean, collector thing i just love it you know it tells part it's a story i don't know are you are you like that or do you get rid of gear no no i'm kind of like that i mean there's a lot of gear that i wish i still had for sure but there's also a lot of stuff that like I have a Marshall JMP head that I've used that I've had since 98, you know, and I still use it's my main head and rights against um, it's on tour. It's going to like modded twice. And, you know, but there's, there's a ton of shit that, you know, you, when I was broke and whatever, you know, that pawn or trade, or, you know, there's that situation where you'd have like a guitar and you wanted a different guitar. So you had to trade that guitar in on another one and, you know, like, you know, couple hundred bucks or whatever the fuck you know yeah um i did that shit a lot and then i think back on those guitars I'm like, fuck you know <laughs> there's so many i wish i could get back you know yeah it's so hard um yeah i, I eventually made my found my way to a, a sun model t because i was always trying to get louder and wanted a lower sort of guitar tone and somebody i think somewhere in 2001 2002 said oh you should look at these the sun amp they're so they're known for being loud 
So I was able to find one for 500 bucks. I remember driving down wow. to the guy's house and I think I had to borrow money from friends. Even I didn't have the full 500. I was like, well, I'll pay you back the, the two. I think I had to borrow 200 bucks from a friend just to make the 500. And I was like, as soon as yeah. I get paid, I'll, I'll pay it. I'll do. And so I got Is that, that still thing. what you're using. Yeah. So I fell in love with sons. And so the model T was my first sort of thing. Like, wow, that thing just sounds amazing. Especially the louder you get, I've come to learn, you know, that the power section does something, you know, the tube power section really like, you know, just, just yeah. growls and melts and compresses and oozes in, in such a great sort of way. So the Sun Model T was there. And then and then I went to a Sun Beta lead as well. So I'd pair those together. Yeah. So I'd kind of do the, the the Sun for the low mids, the growly low mids. And then the, the Beta lead also has a great distortion circuit in there. But I, was, I, would yes, use that more, I would use that more for the dentist drill, I would call it. You know, just the high, those high trebles just go straight into your frontal yeah. cortex. So I would, that's when we started No Age. Those were the two amps I was using was a Beta lead through a 410. Or sorry, Beta lead combo, 212 combo, and then a Model T through a 412. Well, that's funny. We've talked about the sun a lot on this podcast because I had Buzz from the Melvins on. Yeah. And I've just interviewed Brian from uh, Red Fang. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Red Fang have a pedal that is basically a sun model, uh, a sun beta lead in a pedal, uh, I believe Earthquaker no, makes um, it. No, Hilbish. Nathan Hilbish. Hilbish. Do, yeah. do Hilbish. Oh, no, Hilbish do make it. Because yeah. Hilbish make the actual, like, Earthquaker does the band Sun O, you know, they, they do their. Oh, they Earth, do. That's uh, right. You're yeah. right. That's yeah. what I got mixed up. And then yeah. Hilbish do the, yeah, fuck. I, I should know that because I'm on a waiting list for the. The Hilbish? The God, the Hilbish one. Yeah. yeah. For the, 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 the Red Fang one. Oh, cool. And Laurel Stearns, their manager um, is like a sister to me. She managed my band in the nineties. And I, even though I know their management, I'm still like, I want that fucking pedal <laughs> anyway. So it's funny. Cause yeah, the Sun O guys use the model T I mm -hmm. noticed. Yeah. And then those other dudes use the beta leads, but do you find that they, they're finicky? Do they kind of go down quick or, or do you, do you have to get it worked on a lot? So the Model Ts, no. They're like an old Chevy or something. It's all out in the open. It's just tubes. It's your almost point-to-point -point wiring. I mean, they're you know, it's um super simple tube amp. So those gotcha. the Model Ts you can keep going. The Beta leads, yes, they're an early or late seventies, early eighties, you know, kind of circuit board that it's like if an old calculator breaks you know it's like yeah. what are you gonna do you got to find the parts for of a calculator basically and so there was a great guy andy from uh red sparrows right he used to work on them here and he um he's now up in san francisco so he was my beta okay. lead guy then he just knew how to find and he had a like a donor ones ones that were just too dead and he could pull parts from it sure but what's really cool that Nathan does at Hillbish is he's he's cloned them in a way that are very very stable, and so I have a few of those as well. And um, oh, so I was gonna, yeah. that's my next question: Are you using the Hillbish models? So yeah, I have those. I've honestly, you know, the touring being what it is and being fortunate enough to fly around places, I've worked out a way where I can just kind of approximate a tone on a pedal board. It's become my last, my newest obsession of getting the the preamp in a box, you know, sort of road. That's yep. a whole. It's a whole rabbit hole you can go down there for for years and years but i've found a place that i'm very happy with i just took it on this last tour you know where i can get everything into a pelican you know carry on and dial in a tone that's close enough you know to to what yeah. i would use so that i don't have to worry about renting you know beta leads or model t's or these things and have you tried the red fang Hilbish pedal. Yeah. So he did a version of it called the Soul Invictus, which I think is the non-branded one. But it's yeah, it sounds it sounds amazing. It sounds so no killer. Sure. Yeah, no, Nathan's Nathan's a genius. If you're yeah, I think and I learned about him through Buzz and um, you know, I'm a big yeah. fan of the Melvins and, and their sound. And so yeah, and it's just great. Be. Oh my, yeah. yeah, it's it's just yeah. I'll still sound check with their um cover of Going Blind, like the kiss oh, yeah, cover yeah, they yeah. do off of Houdini. I'll still I'll sound check with that because like, I know the song and the tone so well in that song that I can kind of like okay, not that we sound anything like them or I'm really trying to sound like Buzz, but I think it's just a it's yeah. a nice kind of way of you know what I mean. I think everybody has a has mm -hmm. a has a riff that you kind of hear in a room. You just go okay, am I dialed in? Can I hear? Is it sounding the way I want to sound? Oh, I was just about to say like I'm no band I've ever been in sounds like Anthrax, but I always try to sound like anthrax and then or i'll sound check with rock bottom by ufo which is the greatest rock and roll guitar riff ever written and i sound check with that and no band i've ever been in sounds like ufo but you know fuck but, you, it. but you know what it sounds like and you know it's your i know what spot. it sounds yeah. like 
Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of the Amp in a Box, you know, it's funny. We just did South America, and I was my first, like, inaugural tour with Amp profiling. I have a Kemper now. Oh, cool. And so we we Kempered. And, you know, I was so Luddite and, like, Cro-Magnon about, you know, like, throwing stones at that new idea. And, man, I got to admit, it sounds fucking great. And it was consistent in my ears every night. It was like, you know, like, in South America, you have to rent gear a lot. And so, you know, it'll show up with a blown fuse or, you know, it's just... It's like amp du jour and you're mm -hmm. just trying, you know, and then Brian Baker, he was on this podcast and he Kempers now and he's like, oh, that dude was a holdout. You know, everything was vintage. He, yeah. he tours with a 57 junior and, you know, and he was just yeah. like, man, he profiled his one like Jubilee head from the late eighties. So he has one profile in it, but it sounds excellent. And he's, that's all he uses. I'm like, fuck, you know? That's incredible. And then do you run it into a, a cab on stage or are you just getting everything in the ear? Well, in South America, we did not because we were doing a lot of Lollapalooza shows and then our own. And so we were going cabless. So of course, you know, that's the argument really can be made if you don't go cabs, but I have the power Kemper. So we did a residency at the Metro to finish. We did three nights at the Metro for their like 40th anniversary or whatever. That's cool. And I did run cabs on stage and it was fucking great, man. But for like what you were talking about, you know, Seymour Duncan make the uh, power stage. I believe it's a power amp. So it's the size mm -hmm. of a pedal. It's a 500 watt power amp. Um, you know, you throw that on there. But also there's the goddamn neural DSP, neural DSP, quad cortex. And it's just a profiler with like, it already has the pedal board on top of it. You know, it's got eight switches. You can drag and drop what pedals you want to be <laughs> at each switch. You can profile with it, but it comes loaded with every amp you can fucking imagine. You know, it's insane. No, I think we've we've got we, we are living in the future. You know, I, I think we about really that. are. I think man. about that every day. Like you know, my wife commutes from home. You know, from the office in our house. You know, and she's sure. like, okay, time to go to work, and she'll just walk down the hall, and it's like this is some George Jetson kind of shit that we're living it's in. George you know? Jetson <laughs> shit, because you know you could profile your Model T. And your beta lead and in a box and just fucking take that with you on the plane, you know, yeah. and here's the thing. And if the argument can be made like, oh man, you're losing so much of the tone. It's like, you're not, you're really not. No. And, and, if, you know, and I think we're of the same kind of cut of guitarists as most guitarists, I think are in this zone of the only people who actually give a shit are us. The, the people playing, exactly. the people in the audience don't give a shit. I've learned this. I learned this over the years. Shit. Like the night when I have the best tone ever, and I'm just loving it. And it's the best. No one says shit. No one ever compliments no one the, that stuff. Shit. And then when it's really bad, and I'm just in the dumps, and it sounds the god awful worst dog shit guitar tune mm. you've ever had. No one says anything. They love it just the same. No you know, and not, and not or, that the, or you know. on the other end, they come to you like, dude, this is the best show I've seen from you yeah. guys, and you're like. I sounded like shit up there. Yeah. They don't. No, it's all yeah. for yourself. So whatever, whatever makes you happy. So it becomes that psychological, the psychological sort of game that you play with yourself of like, does this sound good enough to make me stoked to play these songs for an hour and a half or whatever, you know, right. can I find a place of being really happy out there hearing my guitar sound this way, whatever that means for you, whatever it's, you know what I mean? And if you can do that trick in your brain, then you're like, cool, this is great. I, I haven't had so the opportunity. Done. Yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to go digital with anything. I really went <laughs> very boots on the ground sort of setup where I'm just using these, um, you know, it's kind of tiny dirt pedals. You know, Earthquaker makes a great approximation yeah. of a of a Model T called the um, Acapulco Gold. And it's a really, oh. it's a one knob sort of big drivey, big dirty, you know, sort of preamp of a, of a Model T type you know, sounds super heavy gain and it's kind of wild and it comes in a box. And this last run we did in Europe, I just got two small Fender Deluxes and I strapped them together so I could get it high up. And the one thing I really want is it to be loud in my ear. I hate, yeah. I just hate having my like kneecaps blown with the sound. I want to hear it. You know, that's I'm, again, sure. cause I'm the only one that cares. I'll blow my ears out on stage rather than the poor kid on the, the front of the stage yeah. getting all my amp. He doesn't need to hear it that loud. I do though. So I just stacked everything up and strapped them down with two really cheap Fender Deluxe, you know, 112s. And I just flatted those out. So they're just worked as like a, as a power amp. And I just ran these pedals in there, you know, just to really like blow it up. And for me, again, for them, especially for the size of places that we were playing, it was just, it was perfect. It was very down and dirty. Awesome. You know what I mean? There's like a, where there's a way to do it. That's, I think that's much, much more in, involved and, and precise. But for me, again, like I said, that was a lot of the, the psychological trick of like, 
does this feedback when I stop playing in a way that I like it to, does it sound good when I, when I hit the thing, do I feel it like I'm hitting something, you know, that's yeah. that kind of thing. And it does all, it ticks all those boxes. And I was like, this is great. Yeah. This is great. This works and it's cheap cool. and it's affordable and I can travel and I'm not breaking the bank or my back. And so that's kind of where awesome. I got to, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you something, I was afraid speaking of feedback that with the, the profilers that, you know, cause it's all digital. Yeah. There is, a good amount of feedback. Like I found myself having to wrestle with it, you know, to like really kind of kill the guitar and stuff, which was really impressive. And then I also, maybe it was psychological, but I noticed certain frequencies in my ears at least, cause we're all fucking ears, like certain mids and, and highs that I didn't have wow. with the regular amp. And we didn't have time. Like, by the way, this was my first tour as on profilers. We bought them, went to South America. So like the sound check, you know, it was like, and I just went for the 800 profile that was already in the Kemper wow. and I added a little more gain to it. So like, you know, kind of hot rodded an 800, which is basically, I have a hot rodded GMP, but man, it was fucking amazing. It that was is, great. That's uh, so I, cool. I'm, I'm all for, I'm all for progress. You know, I think there's definitely those camps of like all this or all that, but I, th I think we're probably in similar boats again, where it's just at the end of the day, you know, you can cork sniff all you want, but when you got to go out every night and do it again and again and again, have, we're fortunate enough to, to be able to play shows and uh, right. to, to play a lot of shows it becomes a tool. Like, does this work? Does this make my life easier? You yeah. Know what I mean, and like you may make some consignments or some compromises, but at the end of the day, it, it's, it's your job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, 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 I need this thing to work every I night. I need this thing yeah. to be consistent. That's really all it is. Like, I just need it to fucking work. Yeah. and work well yeah that's all and i still use an analog pedal board you know some people like profile their pedal board not in that they have like a the kemper switcher in front of them yeah. i still use an analog pedal board and you know yeah i try no. to still make it as you know whatever yeah i'm sure there's always there's always an easier way to do things that's right it's that constant back and forth of like how easy and how fun can i make you know <laughs> like, yeah. I, still, I still want to feel something yeah i've, I've always I've, i'm to the point where i don't like the pedal boards that have the stuff underneath it you know i still just want everything on the floor oh. like i'll just make my own with like mdf from home depot and just put the velcro yeah. on it like i just want it flat and even with all the wires and cables and everything else showing like i don't care that way i can troubleshoot yeah, yeah, it yeah. easier if something does god forbid go down i want to be able to see yeah. that i don't have to flip the thing over like a car and work underneath it and then come back around it's like yeah i know I'm, I'm with you on that i keep it just super super easy and again but it's everybody's own thing you know what i mean that's i was talking with a friend yeah and there's like that you know, there's a million ways to do things. And, and as guitar players, we are overconfident with no uh, reason to back it up. <laughs> We're nothing right. but confidence with and no, and no, uh, no knowledge of, of why we are that confident. We don't deserve to be that confident. We've not earned yeah. it, but yet we won't stop us. So we all think we know the right well, perfect it, way to do it. We also don't suffer a poverty of choice. I mean, there yeah. is so much out there that's constantly getting pushed, you know, that's constantly. So there's always new ways to do it. There's always a new widget or something to fucking you know and like you said we live in the future where it's just getting smaller and smaller and better you yeah. know like it went from like having marshall full stacks behind you has almost become a boomer thing you know what i mean it's like it just it's belaboring some the people that are out with you or yourself or whatever and it when it sounds better and it's smaller and it's whatever it's like well fuck well how am i going to argue with that you know <laughs> yeah I've, I've done i've it carried, still looks cool i've carried enough four tens and flight cases upstairs to last me and or or eight tens you know i've, yeah, I've, I've moved refrigerators i've done it i remember we played a show early on and it was a house show in the south somewhere and it was like one of those tight spiral staircases you know we had to go four stories up and it's raining and so the stairs are slippery just you carry all that stuff up there and i, and I was only 22 or something but i remember thinking like fuck this shit <laughs> fuck yeah, fuck and this. i still did it for another you know another 20 years after that and then you kind of get to a point mm -hmm. where you're like i really i've paid all the dues i've banged up all my knuckles on every doorway you go carrying a cab through a thing you know just you, you it's really fun to do it again not and but you know not to feel like an old man but you know i'm north of 40 in, in guitar mm -hmm. and rock and roll terms you know that's uh wilford brimley territory and i don't mind <laughs> I've, I've come to a point where I don't, I don't you know i mean why would i pretend to be a kid all my scars and all my experiences are, are badges of honor you know I've, I've, so well, exactly it totally is and you know you and i paid guys like us paid our dues we toured in vans <laughs> we traversed the u.s we played to no one we slept on floors yep you know we earned our right to fucking carry one pelican that has everything in there god <laughs> damn it yeah and sleep in a holiday yeah. inn you know there's 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And shake, shake our fist at the clouds. The kids these yeah, days. But I've noticed fucker. I've noticed kids like combos. Like our younger players like little combos. No, you're right. You know what I mean? Well, so I mean, like, just they're not impressed. It's shit is shit is just smaller nowadays. Like when you and I yeah. were younger, it was like we bought a half stack. You went yeah. to guitars and you bought normal. Like a combo combo amp was what you practiced with. You know? And I think it was like maybe the strokes were the first band on like a stadium level that I noticed had like Hot Rod DeVille's behind him or whatever, you know, like, whoa, yeah. holy shit. That's, and it was cool. It was cool looking. It was like, oh, wow, they're bucking the system, you know, like, good on them. Yeah. I didn't know it was the sign of things to come. <laughs> and, you know, like, I, again, like Brian, I have to mention Brian Baker yeah. again. The guy used to always give me shit about my gear. You know, I'll admit on this and not to him that he was sort of my North Star for gear. You know, sure. I would like, okay, well, if he's using it, I'll use it. And then he's, he's using the Kemper. So I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll give yeah. it a shot. I love his one guitar in one minute profile he does on his. Oh guitars. yeah, it's so they're the best, man. Yeah, they're the best. He, when we were trying to make one happen. He had, I had a guitar out that he liked a lot, and we were trying to do one and make one happen of him doing that guitar, but it didn't oh. work out. Oh man, I, 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 I just spoiled, and he's, he's gonna be mad at me for that. <laughs> uh, well, so speaking gonna, of, our, oh sorry, sorry, let me jump in, but before we get off, how many house shows did you play to like ten kids with a full stack or at least a half? stack? Oh my god, <laughs> right. Uh, a half stack, it was the 90s, pretty much, you know? Yeah. That's all I had. Yeah. But again, the, there was no reason to be that loud, but it was fun. There's no fucking reason to be that loud. <laughs> you could have done it with 112. Yeah. But how fun was that? Though? That was just what it oh, was. Like, so cool. I'm, you know what? I was fortunate enough to, to, we played on David Letterman before he was off the air. And, you know, we got to fly across country and be on a you know, big TV show. And so I, I, packed my model t i was like there's no way i'm going to go on there with rented gear i'm bringing my own gear if i'm going to be on tv so i brought my model t but i did rent the cabs but i i had i think three full stacks it was a bit of a jay mascus you know sort of like that's play. Awesome. and so I, I had just the beta lead head and the model t and then an svt stack and i remember the you're not allowed to touch anything because it's a teamsters union it's their broadway you know union people that move amps you can't move your own amp so we get there at 6 a.m in the morning and it's freezing and the, the union guys roll it out like who Who's here metallica you know like what is this what, <laughs> what kind of assholes are bringing this much equipment for a fucking uh tv taping and i just remember thinking like yeah. don't they know this is cool don't they know this is like yeah. the coolest thing i could that's the coolest thing i thought i could do you know to be on tv and have all these loud well, i bet it and, looked great though I, I, I had fun with him but i felt like i got called out by 60 year old guy who had to roll my amp out <laughs> on, on a riser he's like this kid's a dick why does he bring so many amps those teamsters are hysterical. I remember playing uh, the Roseland, which was right there, right there mm -hmm. around the corner, and it's not there anymore. But played there in the '90s with, I, I think it was like the Mighty Mighty Boston's and Sick of It All, and uh, those teamsters just sitting there all day. And they they actually let us load our own shit. Oh, how nice! Um, That's good. And just watched us sitting <laughs> on a couch, just kind of like you know, raise their beer at us, like hi, sir. Um, Speaking of early days, and by the way, bless Jay Baskets for, you know, he's still three fucking full stacks. I mean, and the best part is the Fender Reverb pointed right at his head coming back. That's yeah, his it's monitor. Amazing. The three stacks. Okay. That's one thing. But then to, to put the Fender twin at full volume right back at your head, there's the cherry on top. I sleep well knowing that Jay Mascus is still out doing They're yeah. doing it for all of us because, you know, I'm talking all this shit, but I still really respect the guy that's going to fucking go for it. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Uh, I don't have to do it. It's in our DNA. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I don't have to do it. Yeah. He's doing it for me. Yeah. It's it's in yeah. our DNA as guitar players. We just think that shit's cool. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, so, so early days, how did you guys actually start like were you in other bands and and you know yeah so i i was kind of a bedroom you know i got a four track shortly after you know in high school and and so i was just kind of documenting my sort of sad um <laughs> lo-fi songs that i didn't really know much about so i did that yeah. and then went to college and then in college i um or no right before i went to college i found this club this all-ages club in la called the smell and um i went and saw mike watt play solo there i saw it was like in the newspaper and, I, and I, I liked mike watt from firehose the minuteman i saw him in lollapalooza i was like cool this is great so i went with a friend and there was just this tiny little club with no stage and all the coolest looking people i'd ever seen and i was like whoa i think i could play here and so the smell was a place that i thought like oh this feels like my speed like i think i could it made playing live seem accessible because up until that point i was just playing in my bedroom or maybe like at a something at a school or something lunchtime performance uh yeah and so the smell really sort of i just kept going to shows there and i moved to downtown and i was just a fan of all the bands that were going through there at the time this was late 90s early 2000s 
And then I was introduced to uh, to Dean Spunt, my partner in No Age, and um, through another mutual friend. And we started a band called Wives that uh, you mentioned Laurel Stearns. Uh, she put out our, our full length on her shortly lived label Cold Sweat that she did with Sam. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so Wives was was a band that we did. And it was kind of, um, you know, we it came out of um, sort of love of, of all things Providence, you know, and RISD, sort of lightning bolt and, and that, oh, yeah. that kind of stuff. So we were a three piece and Dean was in it, but he played bass and sang, and then he, he would sometimes not play bass. And I would, that's where I first learned to plug into two amps. I would just do guitar while he sang and then we had a, we had a drummer. And then uh, that band uh, ended and we'd realized that Dean and I never wrote, like I would write a song with a drummer and he'd write a song with a drummer, but he and I never really wrote together as a bass player, guitar player, for some reason, you know, it just wasn't the nature of that band. So once we, we kicked that drummer out and we got a different drummer and we we're trying to write songs and it was just, we were trying to figure it out. And the whole thing just wasn't really working. Like, why are we even doing this? This is a different band now. And so we broke up that band and then, Dean and I were talking like, what if you and I just had a band? And he was one learning to play drums. He's, he was playing drums for his girlfriend's band, Mika Miko. And um, he was kind of just learning drums and he didn't want to be a tough drummer. He kind of wanted to be this sort of like simplistic drummer. And that's sort of where he was at when he started. So it was really fun. And so we kind of had this thing that was somewhere between Ramones on the drums, you know, with like, not that those are easy drum parts to play. They're really hard, but, but something along that line, kind of straight drumming yeah. with a Kevin Shields. Sure. So Ramones meet my bloody Valentine was sort of something we thought right. about, but we both really had a, a love for um, the band squeeze. Say no more. That's it's one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah. The um, up the junction was something we had discovered. Oh you know what God. I mean? This was mid to that by 2006. Yeah. Tilbrook and Difford, man. And you yeah. know, what's crazy about Glenn Tilbrook is that I've always made this. He's such a, amazing songwriter such an amazing voice that people forget that he's also an astounding guitar player oh yeah uh, all of those solos those like crazy orchestrated songs within song solos those are him and they're flawlessly played and executed like that guy's just just a different talent he's yeah. just different yeah and this in the songwriting the you know the arrangements <sighs> of the parts the lyrics unbelievable the, yeah really really you know it was something that just was blowing our minds so we kind of came out of you know appreciating bands like us maple captain beefheart lightning bolt um sonic youth that type of thing and then we're trying to just write together just he and i and so i was doing these kind of shoegazy sort of parts and he was playing these really, these really straight ahead drum parts and then we kept saying like what's the poppiest thing we could write that's made up of the noisiest elements like something if you heard right. just the one part it would sound like a car crash or a crab being cooked alive and then and then <laughs> but make can you make that into the hook of a pop song you know so we sort of had this challenge we're challenging ourselves to write these catchy songs made up of really gross sounding parts and that was sort of where no age sort of was birthed from I love a crab being cooked alive. I, I love that. <laughs> and so we, we ended up, yeah, we created this or we developed this sort of technique of writing with loops and samples. We would like make weird sounds with some days instead of practicing songs, we would just have these like, you know, jam sessions where we would just make sounds and record them and loop them, you know, and try to like just fill, fill up a loop pedal full of just the craziest, weirdest sounds we could make We'd using guitars or drums or just hitting stuff and just create like not not the sense of creating a song but just creating a palette of fucked up sounds and save those wow. and then as and then we would go back the next day and try to write something and kind of four four like does it need this is it needs something here let's go back in and kept plugging in like the palette pressing all the buttons and pulling in all these weird sounds we'd make and laying those over them like oh wait that would change it this way that's like so we almost kind of created a third person you know a third brain of us to like play against it was sort of an antagonistic idea so i could get away with Playing something really poppy and upbeat and chirpy, but there's this thing like feedback going with it. And so like that feels like an expression of my soul. Like either one of them, one would be too too noisy if I only did that, and one would be too poppy and sweet. I wouldn't respect myself if I did either one, but somehow making those two sounds come together felt like an honest expression of my creative purpose, of what I wanted to make. So that was sort of where the a lot of the ideas started with in the beginning. And we would just try to crack each other up and we would go on to sound check, you know, and say, okay, check the sample channel, check the beats, you know, what are your tracks? And you go, okay, and we press the samples. And it's just, and just sounds horrible. And everybody in the club's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, I need that like 
40 decibels louder in my, uh, yeah, in my yeah, monitor. Yeah. I, oh, need that. I really need that to give me a haircut. Cause that's the part, that's the hook of the song. Then we, and then we'd play the whole song together. And sure enough, that's, if we're lucky, that's the, that's the part you're going to be humming when you're, as you walk away, right. that's right. the hook of the song. So we, we've been successful a handful of times, I think getting pretty close to doing that. And then, you know, then that's you go amazing. on and do other stuff. So yeah. I'm jealous of that kind of creativity. I, I, oh. I, I am. I, I think, uh, I have FOMO for that kind of creativity. <laughs> well, we're just, and that's and that yeah. and that's such a great explanation of your band. And it sounds like you guys still really enjoy each other's company and being creative partners. And it seems it's palpable. I think when you listen to your records. You oh, know. thanks, man. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, we were too dumb to know any different. You know what I mean? I think if we were <laughs> if we were smarter or more business minded or thought more forward thinking, we probably would have thought of other things. But I think we were always just kind of like. We, and like I said, I think because we came from a community like The Smell here in L.A., where it just, you know, we just were we were fans of people that just pushed boundaries. And it just felt like those yeah. were the most successful bands. And nobody was going anywhere in the sense of, like, getting signed or we weren't no, – our favorite bands were not on any radar. And so I feel like in some sure. ways, you know, we, we betrayed that tradition by – going after the attention you know we i don't know how it was for you but there was, was that feeling of like i think i had the fomo of like or you know at the time of like what's behind the velvet rope like can we sure. can we be weirdos and still get into the cool celebrity parties can we get into the cool kid right. parties and, and right. so that was a we figured out how to do that <laughs> and you realize well, for the me, parties aren't that cool they're actually kind of boring there <laughs> for me i just you know all it was for me was just playing music for a living that's yeah. all I wanted to do. And and my quality of life was very low. I, I didn't mind whatever compromised living situation I had, not having much material object or wealth or anything. I just wanted to tour and play music with most of my life and whatever the fallout of that was. And however I had much I had to pick up the pieces to make a life sort of <laughs> happen when I wasn't on tour, I was prepared to do that. That's all I cared about, you know? And if... If that meant success, great, you know, but if it meant living the life of a pauper, okay, you know, that was, I just wanted to serve this sort of thing. And I knew that if, if there was another human being alive that could do it, I could do it. I never put that like, oh, well, that's for these other people. I Maybe it was audacity, the audacity of youth or whatever, where I was just like, well, I can fucking do that. You know, that dude could do it. I can do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how just, old were yeah. you when you paid rent for the first time from a oh. show? Or from two uh, 18. Wow. I think, I think 18. I mean, That's man, huge. I quit high school at 17. My dad died at 17 oh. and my brother and I, I'm from a town about an hour North of Dallas. We'd already started a band that was doing fairly decent. And I just, I was cocky and fucking crazy ambitious and, and, Again, just delusional and like, well, fuck it, let's go, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. we just, just started playing, and you know, just I've been kind of doing it ever since, and haven't really looked back. But That's I mean, incredible. there was many times. Well, well, thank you, but there was a lot of times where I was like, holy shit, I hope this, <laughs> I hope something cool <laughs> happens. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, where uh, people you graduate high school with are like, you know, have children and they graduated college and they're in their job and their you know, their career and they yeah. bought a house and shit. And you're like fucking 30 and you live with a bunch of dudes and you're like, well, I got a tour coming up, whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. It's so, yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah, where I grew, yeah. Everybody bought trucks. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm driving this just kind of beat up thing that works most of the time. Some of the time works. Oh, dude. And you just I had a car fun, with, so. I had a car with no front end on the front of it, you know, like no <laughs> bumper and shit. And it yeah. was fucking disgusting. Anyway, yeah. anyway, yeah. well, it, you know, everything you just explained also, like I said, it, it's, it's that youthful exuberance and that sort of, adherence to your original vision that I think that's what people picked up on with your band. And that's what makes bands interesting is when somebody can still sort of subconsciously get that. Like, wow, there's something different about these guys. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something different about what they're doing. Your, your explanation of the two sort of opposing factors of pop and noise, you couldn't play either one of them solely on their own but together that made sense i i love that explanation and i love that that description because i like that's so much of us you know right yeah i mean what what was is your situation is it one songwriter or does everybody contribute everybody contributes one guy is kind of the main guy for sure yeah, yeah, uh yeah. Our, our singer tim is is definitely the main guy but everybody contributes for sure that's cool. um but he's the guy that's like you know, he's the guy. It's the vision. And 
Yeah. And, and just, you know, I've definitely been in those bands where everybody equally does it, or I've been in bands where I do it more than other people or, you know, whatever it might be. That's another thing I, I'm so envious of to be in a, a successful band with one other guy. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, the two piece set up. Yeah. I don't think we really knew what we were doing, but I think it felt like, you know, just in terms of band dynamics, like I said, the band we came out of before was a three piece and instantly there is a, their factions, you know, instantly like yeah. even in a three, I remember talking, I talked to, to Mike Watt about that. He's like, no, three piece. You got a tiebreaker. I'm like, no, yeah, that's not how it works. Everybody, then you got the, those guys are cool over there. And this is the one guy out. You get the different mm-hmm. red, black sheep version of it. Like the only real democracy I think is either, you know, you do it by yourself or two people. You really got to figure people. it out. Two people. It's really the thing. Like if I don't want to do it, he doesn't want to, or he doesn't want to do it. Or you're, you're at a stalemate. You have to figure out how to compromise or how to communicate or, or, it's or fucking great. you know, you could not saying I, I'm not allowed to be passive aggressive and go fine, whatever. Yeah. Kick sure. rocks, you know what I mean. Sure. Like somebody gets to do that every once in a while, but that's just part of again. That's the democracy of it. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but as long as the yeah. the train keeps rolling forward, you know, I think that's kind of how we we figured out our roles in that. And I think you know that's been it's been good. I feel like we got really fortunate with that, and we've we've had third members, and our tour party's gotten quite large at times. You know, with drivers yeah. and techs and you know merch and stuff. But again, I think at this point, we like to just go out on tour with it. We will bring someone else just because we're tired of our, each other's stories. <laughs> we've, we've heard each other's stories now for so long. Like, yeah, like, can we just bring someone else in the car just to just to switch it up? Let's terrorize them for a while. Let's hear let's hear what they want to put on the I radio. Still, I have FOMO of a two-piece. I, I, I have, yeah. you know, I have a FOMO of that as well. <laughs> so, so I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but I do ask everybody if they have one that got away. And that would be like a guitar amp pedal piece of gear something yeah you sound like you've you've collected and kept a lot of your shit so no no but there's been i borrowed a green russian big muff when we recorded our that that first wives record my friend sam uh she let me borrow this pedal because I, I told her I was going to go record. She's like, oh, you need to take this with you. And she was right. It was incredible. We toured up the West Coast till we recorded in Portland. And so we played five or six shows with it. And as soon as I hit that thing, I was like, wow, nothing sounds like that. Yeah. Like a Russian, yeah. a Russian big muff. Uh, I've tried other things and there's just the big silver knob and the big chunky green thing. It's just because I, mm-hmm. I always hated, and tell me if you relate to this, the distortion pedal that you kick on that makes the amp quieter. You oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never understood. It compresses it so much that it just kind of like it's like you're not doing me any favors here. Yeah, my dream was always to hit the button and the whole thing explodes and it gets ten times exactly. louder. Does that? And I think that Russian um, big muff was the first time that happened. We're like that's the yeah. sound I want. When I hit that thing, it was like I get scared and I have to jump back. Um, and so that's that's definitely on my bucket list of something to find if I were ever to come across Did you those. lose it? Did you oh, get no, so, it stolen? So, so, well, I just borrowed it. I borrowed it from her to, to, oh. to record the record with. And I gave it back to her at the end going, wow, that's cool. I'll have to get one of those. Not knowing the rarity yeah. and the kind of the hard luck of that. And I've, you know, chased down other sounds. It's not, they're not impossible to find. However, you know, yeah it's, it's and chances are somebody's profiled it nowadays and you can find one you know I'm, somewhere I'm else. sure yeah jhs makes a version of 16 versions you can click into the different sure. green muffs you can make sure yeah. actually they might that that would be <laughs> worth looking into because yeah. i know they have that uh tube screamer that's got every tube screamer in it right yeah um it's got the tree on the front of it God bless them. Yeah. Uh, what yeah no kidding uh so what else do you guys uh you or the band have coming up do you got anything going on yeah so what are we doing here we uh i just i released uh my second solo record on dead strange which is a, a label that oliver from a place to bring strangers started so it's oh, right. this is um it's kind of been it's a little bit of a conceptual um art project these solo records i do they're sort of soundtracks for films that don't exist and then i work with a friend aaron awesome. farley to um to make these sort of art films these sort of quantascotsi-esque sort of meditations on transportation Amazing. or a time of place. And so I've done, I call it, it this record's called Soundfield Volume 2020. I sort of re- reflected on the year that it wasn't and um, made my ambient record. <laughs> that I'm sure millions of other guitar players sat around with a, with a delay pedal trying to make an ambient record um, in that lockdown time. But I'm, I'm glad mine at least- Yeah, but you did it. It came out. I can at least claim it came out. At least I got it out in the you world. It. It's available on all the streaming devices if you're curious and want something to put oh, on. Oh, I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, especially yeah. since you dropped the, Con Squatsky, uh, <laughs> yeah. I always I always pronounce it wrong. Yeah. Uh, reference, uh, but yeah. I mean I think I think I, I've uh, in my head I've I've 
wanted to attempt anything Philip Glass on, you know, noise guitar for a long time anyway. So I, the fact that yes. you've, you've hit it, I want to hear, I want to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, and then that's no out age, there. What, what it, Nothing. Uh, we might do some fests this this summer. We're just kind of taking it easy. We did um we did a, a run in the U.S. for fall and then Europe this spring. And so yeah, we're just kind of taking it easy at this point. But um but yeah, hopefully there'll be new stuff out and we'll be kind of keep going down the road. But I'll and, and you guys have been yeah, sorry. I was just you guys have been putting out records with uh, Drag City. Yes, lately, yeah, yeah, like very, the last few years. Yeah. yeah, they're incredible. You know, Chicago. Uh, um, oh, legends. I know. Yeah, yeah. they've been really great to work with. So yeah, really stoked. Yeah, we just did our third record with them. What a great legacy of artists and just great records they've put out. Oh my God. Yeah. And working with them, they, I mean, they have stories for days and everything. It's really, it was one, another one of those kind of dream factory sort of thing, like Willy Wonka, like, like, could we go through the warehouse? Like what's, what, you know, what do you have? What's this? What's that? What's yeah. over there? You know, it was very similar. I think my experience, you know, working with sub pop for our first records with them oh, right. as well, you know, going through the sub pop, you know, store and just hearing all the stories from Jonathan and, and Megan and everybody. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. The, those, you know, really, I feel very fortunate. All, all the labels we we've been able to work with have been like dream come true situations well i think those those labels are fortunate to have you guys because uh what a great band and, <laughs> oh thanks and if and if if your partner's anything like you what a what a great bunch of guys um <laughs> thanks man oh i was gonna say that also yeah so i have a, a podcast that hopefully will be out whenever this oh, yeah. comes out or hoping to come out soon called hyphenate with randy randall i got to put my name in there seems like a good way to go good. right yeah, it's a great way to go. <laughs> so, yeah, and I'm going to be talking to people that do more than one thing, such as yourself, you know, where you can be a musician slash podcaster or talk to skateboarders slash photographers or guitar players, you know, slash sculptors, you know, all kinds of things. That, right. Uh, I'm always fascinated by people that do more than one thing and they just have have their heads sort of. You know, I think we're, I think guitar players, especially, I think it works, you know, because we're always doing math while we're, while we're dancing on stage, you know, you kind of got to do <laughs> more than one true. thing at once, you know, you're moving your body, right. one hand's doing one thing, the other side's doing another thing. So I um, think you're right. Well, you, yeah. you, you let me know and I will always make time. Awesome. Um, it's funny to say that I'm a high because there's been so long that I felt like all I am as a guitar player. There's like friends of mine that they camp and they hike and they golf or they, they sketch, you know, they do art or they fucking sew or hook or whatever. I'm like, God damn it. All I do is play guitar. That's all I do. And now I have a podcast. So I, I am a hyphenate, yes. Randy. I the am a hyphenate. Diversification. Uh, I love it. Yeah, man. It's the name of the game. Yeah. Well, Randy, it's been so nice uh, meeting you, and I hope to see you in, in real life uh, very, very soon. I'm sure I will. We'll circle each other, I'm sure, for years to come. It'll be fantastic. Thanks, Zach, so much. Yeah, I'll talk soon, buddy. Bye. Bye. I think I'm getting better at this. I hope I'm getting better at this. Maybe I'm just a good talker. I don't know. But I do know... If it's somebody that has had this sort of similar trajectory and does this thing that I do and is their passion as well, we just have automatically have everything in common. You know, it's hard not to. Uh, as I mentioned a little bit, I, I'm getting to meet folks now that this uh, show has been up for a while, the podcast has been happening. I've gotten to meet people that have listened and that is overwhelming to me. That is... Uh, that's just amazing. It gives me the drive to keep doing this. Like I said, I'll, I'll do it no matter what because I love doing it. But God, to get cheered on, so to speak, from you folks, it, it makes me feel really good. Um, hopefully at some point we'll get some merchandise out and uh, I'd love to see people wearing that stuff as well. My people, you are my people. You are my folk. And, and speaking of my folk, I'd also like to thank the people that helped me do this. The people at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. Uh, see what they're doing at jendunlop.com. Also, give a shouts out to the folks over at Seymour Duncan, Derek Duncan. Hey there, buddy. And I would be remiss here at the end if I did not leave you with some uh, and a great example of Randy's amazing guitar playing. This is going to be the song War Dance from the album Goons Be Gone. You'll get to hear what Randy does. It's, I don't know, man. I mean, the, the references, of course, there's, there's a little... Velvet Underground and Lou Reed and and but there's also some amazing pedal work. Uh, the, you know the riffs are written around pedals, the arpeggiation, things like that, the reverb, the delay, um, and just it's all unto Randy. You know he's a very unto himself guitar player. Nobody really sounds like this guy, and uh, I'm glad to have met him. You know, quote unquote, 
But I look forward to meeting him IRL very soon. Go see the uh, the No Age Band if you see him, if they're coming through your town, folks. Okay, I'm signing off. And uh, thank you guys again for listening. If you keep listening, I'll keep doing it. Take care.